O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. That's our theme verse from Jonah chapter 1, verse 14 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Ferry Duggar continues in our series, Running From God, with this week's episode titled, Restraint. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch, or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. know that truth. God's love never fails. You may be in a place now that you've especially needed that. Can you discern that God's love never fails? Today we continue our series on Jonah entitled Running from God. If you were here last week or you watched online, did you... Recognize your escape route. The title of today's message is Restraint. Theme verse for today, and we will be in Jonah chapter 1 again. Theme verse is part of verse 14, and it's actually a statement by these uh, Gentile, these pagan, pagan means unbelievers. sailors who said, oh God, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And of course, the reason was restraining the rebellion. It was cutting off the escape route of Jonah. Now the background, if you weren't here last week, I'll just quickly summarize the first three verses. God sent a message to Jonah And the message was a message of judgment that he was to deliver to an enemy Gentile city named Nineveh, very large city. Jonah didn't like the assignment. Jonah believed that God would let them repent and he wanted them judged. So he refused and he attempted, the literal translation is to get away from God and also from this assignment, this task. So he, he fled to the port of Joppa, today is uh, Jaffa, boarded a ship bound for what was considered by him the end of the world, the western part of the Mediterranean Sea, for a town named Tarshish. But God had chosen Jonah. He had called him as a prophet, but also as his child. You see, a a prophet wasn't just an employee of God. A prophet was a personal child of God's. And he had given Jonah an important task. And he would not allow Jonah to abandon him, to flee his faith, or to refuse his assignment. God permitted Jonah to flee. But then God restrained his rebellion by sending a great storm to interrupt his retreat. Because God will not allow his children to sin successfully. Now, 
Do you think rebellion against God begins when you start running frantically? No, 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 no. That may be the outward, the obvious evidence and others can see it, but it doesn't start when you furiously flee God. Oh no. It doesn't begin with outright defiance or extreme disobedience. You see, rebellion against God, disobedience against God begins by just simply strolling away. And it's just, it's just an incremental, a subtle step, a, a small step. And it actually begins internally before it displays itself or manifests itself outwardly at all. What does it look like? Well, you look, you look the same on the outside to most people, but you really pray less and less regularly and you really only call out to God in a crisis. You lose your interest in the Bible until you read it rarely and with increasing skepticism and little conviction. You might serve a little when it's convenient and you may even give a little bit financially when you have excess. You, you show up for worship regularly then occasionally, but worship has lost its passion. And so even if you sit in the room, you can't detect the presence of God. And then there's so many conflicts. And so it's only when there's, there are no conflicts, there's no backache, there's no other issue, there's nothing that's going to take time to cook, the child has no activities at all, and the sun's not bright, so there's not a time for a hike. It's only when there's absolutely nothing else to do. Now I'm going to say this, parents, you make a mistake if you raise your children with low God awareness. It, it will bear fruit in their lives later. Affairs don't start physically with adultery. Everybody knows this, right? No, no, no. Affairs begin by being too friendly. A little flirtatious. An inappropriate comment, a too long look, a fantasizing mind. And outwardly, it looks somewhat innocent. See, I tell people an affair isn't one step, it's a thousand steps. And the scripture is very plain, both in uh, Timothy and in Corinthians flee. So when you linger around and <laughs> your heart's already departed. See, Jonah's heart had left God long before he received the assignment to go to Nineveh. 
The resented task, the evangelistic mission, didn't cause or create the state of Jonah's heart. What did it do? It exposed it. It revealed it. It revealed it. See, notice what you resist, what you resent, what you reject, what you refuse. Because all those things reveal the state of your heart. Now, if we belong to God, he will draw us back. First, by gently calling, coaxing us to return to relationship. But if we ignore him, if we pick up the pace of our desertion, then God will send a storm to stop us from running away. A storm has descended on our nation. I'm not even gonna debate where you stand politically. I think everyone agrees there's a storm. Is it a storm of illness? Is it a storm of information? Is it a, you know, but a storm. Well, it's not causing people's minds to determine what they believe. It's revealing. And, and we will see when this dissipates what the church looks like. I can't tell you that I'm sure yet what the church looks like. Because for some, the absence makes the heart grow fonder for fellowship. For others, it convinces the heart that it's unnecessary. Storms from God first restrain rebellion. When Jonah found his ship bound for far away, he paid the fare. And he got on board and he may have thought that he had escaped God. and gotten away from his despised assignment. He may have even believed God was allowing him to go, even facilitating his escape. Boy, I have, I have been told, and I mentioned this last week, I've been told by a lot of people through the years, many times that People who were in outright defiance believed God was facilitating the path they were fleeing on. Y'all ever heard that from anybody? Perhaps he thought that God understood why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. You ever thought that? Maybe God understands why I'm in disobedience. until the storm comes. But, but see, understand this. Here, we gotta get this fundamentally implanted in our, in our minds and hearts, our souls. God never violates his own word. 
God does not bless disobedience, though he may withhold discipline for a while. That's not the same thing. Even though the circumstances of your sin may seem favorable, but a storm is coming. Jonah chapter one, verse four. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind. It was like throwing a spear over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. The fact that they were throwing the goods over shows you they, they, they think they're headed for destruction. Now, what caused the storm? Y'all answer me. Jonah, but specifically, Jonah's sin, Jonah's disobedience. Well, Jonah's sin, did these sailors disobey? Were they, no, they weren't believers, but weren't they innocent of this, of Jonah's rebellion? Yeah. So Jonah's sin was the cause of the storm that threatened the lives of these innocent sailors. Now let me, now y'all hear me. I'm going to preach in a minute. When we sin, when we run from God, we threaten the lives of innocent children, parents, friends, family members, church family, community. But look at this. This verse sort of makes you mad. If you never get mad with the Bible, you're not really reading it. But all this time, Jonah was asleep down in the hold. Jonah slumbered through the storm. There he is. Wrapped in a blanket of selfishness. Now, maybe he was just exhausted. He, we don't know how hard he had to run to get to the port of Joppa. Maybe he was just relaxed because he thinks, oh, I've gotten away from God. I don't know which one. Sin is inherently selfish. It's narcissistic. Because it allows us to slumber in our self-pity. Not noticing, unconcerned with the peril and the pain we cause in other people's lives. 
I've seen too many times when selfish people fractured families with small children standing there as innocent victims. Is that right? Verse 6. I can't, I can't get off this soapbox yet. Well, I just don't like her anymore. I just don't like it. We, we, we've lost our love. Well, how about the love for those little ones who are innocent? How about them? Verse 6. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and and spare our lives. See, Jonah, I don't know if he was completely asleep or not. It says he was asleep, but you know, sometimes my mother used to call it, you just play in possum, get out of that bed. Your mother ever say that to you? You just play impossum. Get up out of that bed. But in any event, Jonah was no longer seeking God, was he? He didn't want to hear. So God sent an unbelieving sea captain, a Gentile, to rouse him and ask him to pray. Now, here's the thing. God will use whatever or whomever he needs to rouse us from our rebellious slumber. Sometimes it's a comment from an unbeliever. That guy at work who says, well, I I thought you were a religious type. Circumstance, illness, unemployment, financial reversal, difficult and threatening situations. This, all these, these pagan, and again, that word means unbelieving or idol worshipers. And these were undoubtedly idol worshipers. Most of them or all of them were calling out to their various gods. The Greeks had lots of gods. The Romans had lots of gods. So I don't know if people just got to choose their favorite one, but each city seemed to focus on one. So maybe it was where they came from. But but there was only one person on board who knew the true God. And he was snoring in the hold. Oblivious. Unconcerned. I don't know. It doesn't appear evident here because, and the questions appear to say that this captain didn't know which God Jonah worshiped. He just wanted everybody praying to any God they had access to because he didn't know which one might help. See, when we're in a crisis, some of you are in one today and some of you online are are in crises. When we're in a crisis, we can only pray to whatever God we have already worshipped. 
if it's money, if it's power, if it's sex, if it's whatever it is, whatever God you've been worshiping, that's the only one you have access to in trouble. So what or whom is your God that you turn to in a storm? Storms from God reveal sin. The sailors had concluded, I don't know if the nature of the storm, something, these were sailors, they were used to the way storms developed and somehow they knew that this storm was different. It had a supernatural cause. It was a judgment against someone on this ship. Verse seven. Then the crew cast lots. A lot was like throwing dice, but it was usually made from the ankle bone of a sheep. To see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Proverbs 16, says, God determines what comes up on the lot. God uses whatever method he wants to reveal truth. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded, of, of Jonah. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah had refused to speak to God for these Gentiles. So God compelled him to speak. Verse nine, Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, or Yahweh, when it, you know that it, when it's all four capital letters, it's God's personal name. The God of heaven, who made the sea, boy, they need that, don't they? And the land, that's where they needed to be. But isn't it interesting that Jonah, in the midst of his rebellion, did not deny his faith? He spoke truth about God. But notice, he didn't say he was a prophet. For he knew he had failed to act as one. He thought he'd forfeited that role. I mean, haven't you heard people speak that aren't, whose lives are in complete disobedience and yet they speak of God correctly. You know what I'm talking about? They, they, they know who God is. Either they never had a relationship or they've, they're running. But he wasn't wrong about God at all, was he? But sometimes, well, I won't say sometimes, all the time, our disobedience, 
our immorality disqualifies us from speaking for God. Verse 10, the soldiers, the sailors were terrified when they heard this. For he'd already told them he was running away from the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it, how sometimes people who are in outright rebellion will be honest. They will be honest about where they are. And maybe that's a sign that they're, they're closer to repentance. Well, why were these Gentiles afraid of the Hebrew God? Well, everybody had heard of the Hebrew God. They sailed from port to port to port. They knew all the stories of this all-powerful Hebrew God who was the creator, who could divide the sea and destroy Israel's enemies through natural forces. They, they knew all these stories. And becoming aware of who or which God was actually causing this storm frightened them greatly. And they said, why did you do it? They groaned. Were they, was this a question or a rebuke? What do you think, Bradley? Yeah, your mother ever say to you, why'd you do this? She didn't want to know why you did it. She wanted to know why'd you do it? <laughs> and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? I mean, you caused it. How can we stop it? I think some of us ought to be speaking like these sailors to people in our families. We're so scared we might hurt somebody's feelings. And there's somebody in your family who is, has put your entire family into a storm. And you're scared to say anything. Knocked a hole in your ship. Now, you know, those of us that have been to Sunday school, we think, well, Jonah, tell him to repent and you repent too. And Jonah say, drop me off at the nearest port. I'm going back. That would have been a good ending to the story, wouldn't it? He didn't do it. He could have just said, I don't know what to do. Instead, Jonah revealed the hardness of his heart and his determination to resist God's will through his response. Look at this. This is a shocking verse, verse 12. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. And I know this terrible storm is all my fault. It appears he had heard from God, didn't it? He may have been rolled up in a blanket with his fingers in his ears trying not to hear. 
What Jonah was actually saying was, I would rather die than repent. Have you ever been in that state? You know anybody that's ever been in that state? I would rather destroy everything and everyone than admit my sin and return to God to do what he's called me to do. Believers, and I mean, I'm talking about believers. This man, Jonah, was a believer. But believers, especially when they're in deep sin through pride and anger, addiction almost always takes this fashion, doesn't it? Any of you that have experience in that can become so hardened that they prefer destruction or death to repenting and doing what God wants them to do. Is that true? You see, you see the destruction, you see the flood coming, you see the ship sinking. You saw it years before, didn't you? But you said, no, I'm going right this way. Now, sin always operates like an addiction. An addiction is just compensating with something other than Christ. It's filling the place God should have with anything else. Money, power, sex, substances, anything else. See, sin at first feels wonderful and then it becomes harder to stop, but it satisfies less. And as we live in sin, our, our, our self-centered, I got to use the same word because it is key to, to living in rebellion. Our self-centered narcissism, narcissism just means only I matter, increases, self-pity expands, eroding our ability to trust and enjoy relationships. It drains the happiness from our lives. See, sin hardens our conscience. It, it stifles the spirit, if you have the spirit of God. It desensitizes us to the wrongness of our actions. It locks us into defensiveness and denial and rationalization, then self-loathing and self-destruction. And you can almost plot the path, can't you? I mean, for you today, are you in a storm? Or, or, but are you stubbornly clinging to what caused the storm? Storms from God, you see, reflect God's love for us. His restraining love. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Interesting, isn't it? These unbelieving, idol-worshiping sailors 
were more compassionate toward Jonah than Jonah was toward other unbelievers. And the city of Nineveh had 120,000 people. And yet these, these sailors were risking their lives to save this one man and Jonah wouldn't exert the effort to try to save 120,000. Much less than people on the ship. What about the ones in the city? And then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. They see it clearly. But also don't hold us responsible for his death. See, they knew if they pitched him off the ship, he's gonna drown. Oh Lord, you, you have sent this storm for your own good reasons. They didn't see Jonah's God the way they saw their idols. They were, they were concerned about Jonah's life. They didn't want to cause his death. And, and, and understand this, idols, idols were always cruel and selfish and competitive and capricious or unpredictable. And yet they somehow recognize the reasonability of Jonah's God. How'd they recognize that? How'd they recognize it? Huh, what? God? Yes. The same way we know God is by revelation. Revelation. See, God's character was being revealed to them by the Spirit through these circumstances. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The result was that the sailors, there he goes. All this beautiful work was done by staff people. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. John, you think they were saved? You do? Faye, you think they were saved? It doesn't work to go both ways. <laughs> you just try, Faye's pulling the mask over her whole head. I can't see anything. The, the, I think these sailors were converted through their experience with Jonah and their exposure to Jonah's great, powerful God. Now, here's why I think it. Listen, do you think every foxhole conversion is a true conversion? No, people cry out to God when they're in trouble. That doesn't necessarily mean regeneration. Here's the point. These men worshiped, vowed to serve God, sacrificed, after the storm quit. 
not in the midst. See, what you do in the midst of trouble doesn't reveal your true spiritual state. It's what you do when the trouble subsides. God was accomplishing the very purpose he intended for Nineveh and he started on the ship with these sailors. Because our God is willing that none perish. God arranging for Jonah to be cast from the ship looks, looks cruel. Mm-mm, it's an expression of love. When God stops you from running, when God puts you in a helpless place, he's getting your attention. He's about to rescue. But sometimes the rescue is very frightening. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish. Where's my whale man? Not a whale, a great fish. To swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. That begins our message for next week. It probably should have been part of chapter two, that verse. Is God right now in the process of rescuing you out of rebellion? Have you been cast off the ship? Are you afloat? Cry out for God to send a great fish. Look at your memory work. I pray that you would keep reading Jonah throughout this week. Care volunteers will come to the front. They'll also be in the care connection room and you can um, tap that button on the online campus for prayer requests. But people are here to talk to you. And if if God's spirit is stirring you up about some of these issues, stop running. Come back. And these folks are here to pray with you, to talk with you, to anoint you with oil, to help you return to God, to stop rebellion. Father, we thank you that out of your love, you rescue us. It's frightening sometimes painful, terrifying, troubling. But we thank you that this is a gracious interruption. Help us to receive it as your love and respond to your rescue. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Hebrews 12, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes each one he accepts as his child. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Just like any relationship, developing intimacy with God is cultivated over time. While there's no magic formula, here's a simple process you might be able to follow to help you draw closer to God. First, find a quiet place and spend a few minutes in silence to clear your mind. Then, when you sense stillness, Tell God what you want Him to hear. Move on to slowly reading or meditating on a passage of Scripture. What words or phrases stand out to you? You can use the memory verse, daily readings, or any passage. Then ask God what He wants to say to you and allow time for Him to put thoughts into your mind. 
Finally, God desires to talk with you all day long. So as you leave this quiet time with God, ask Him to speak to you throughout the day. Here's a resource that we recommend. The book, Meeting God in Scripture, 40 Guided Topical Meditations. It's from Jan Johnson. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thanks for listening and have a great week.